Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the service. Hey, it is so nice to be back and to see, or at least to actually see the outline and silhouette of you behind these incredibly bright lights. Um, last weekend, I heard that God just did amazing things as we created time and space for him. And, uh, you know, Pastor Dylan called me up and he was like, hey, I, I really feel like I want to speak on something different and I want to speak shorter and I just want to give God time. And uh, many of you stayed here and lingered, about 50, and, and uh, for, for hours on end. And so it's just a beautiful thing um, to hear about what's happening, that the pastor needs to get out of the way in order for God to move. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I have no qualms about it. In many ways, I see Pastor Dylan as a, a co-lead pastor of this church. And and every single one of the leaders that are with us are in everything that we're seeing that's happening here is because of what God uh, is doing through our church and people that are listening to him. So I'd like to open us up in prayer as we continue our series here on God is. And uh, I believe today the Lord's gonna speak very specifically to your life. Let's do it. In fact, let's stand across this room here unless of course you're physically unable to do that or you just had a rough week. Uh, you, you get the pass for that, but let's just look upward and, and ask God to bless. Lord, if you don't show up, this is just a motivational speaker, and this is just another um, satellite radio station of music. But you say that the Word and the Spirit agree you say that you have not left us as orphans, but the Holy Spirit has been sent to us. And so what I'm asking is not only in this room, but every single one of us that's part of our satellite campus, that's part of our online community, that the place where they're at would become holy ground and you would speak and you would visit us and you would visit them and we would be changed for the rest of our life. There'd be a new trajectory toward you. Lord, we can't do that. We're not motivated enough. We're not disciplined enough for this. But one glimpse of who you are, and we're changed forever. We ask for a glimpse. We pray that this would be a church where Jesus would be revealed. And we pray this in Christ's name, through this message as well today. In your name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and uh, a very famous passage to anyone that's grown up around the church. Not quite as famous as David and Goliath, but I find that I, the more I read the same, this is an incredible thing about God's Word, the more I read it, the more I see, or the more it sees me, and God changes. This is Isaiah the prophet, and he is considered the prince of prophets. He is the great prophet of the Bible. In fact, his book, Isaiah, which is about 66 chapters or so, it's almost like a Bible in and of itself. The first half is real heavy. The second half is filled with grace. This is a prophet who is just not your average guy 
um, who God moved, but he moved in and out of the presence of royalty. In fact, King Hezekiah, the second greatest reformer in the history of the kings of Israel, Josiah being the first, and David, of course, establishing it, but Hezekiah was the one that tore, he tore down the high places. He, he brought the reform that was there, and in fact, against all odds, he stood in resistance against the Assyrian enemy, and God brought an incredible deliverance. That's in Isaiah 35, 6, 7, and 8, and there you could read that all about that. But I want you to, I want to take you into the, the mind and moment when Isaiah saw God in a way he had never seen him before. And here's the interesting thing. Not that necessarily everything in the book of Isaiah is chronological, but it's quite possible that this moment happened, Isaiah chapter 6 happened, when he was already operating as a prophet. Did you ever come to find, like, you think you have God figured out, you think you have Jesus figured out, and then he just shows you something or he does something that just messes with your mind and your heart and your life, the way you thought about him, the way you thought about yourself, and it just totally reframes everything you, you understood. Just, I mean, that's happened with mankind, right? The world is flat, you know? And then all of a sudden, we, Magellan and, and others show it's round. And then all of a sudden, the earth is the center of the universe and everything revolves around it. And then we find out, no, we're revolving around the sun. And now we're probably making some theories about the universe with a couple of telescopes out there that are gonna sound like flat earth theories when it's all done. And, and God's just up in heaven saying, yeah, you, you just don't have, you haven't even begun to figure out how amazing I am. God's amazing, amazing. There's no depth uh, to knowing who he is. There's no width uh, or length that he can't reach into. And this moment for Isaiah is one where he thought he had it, God figured out and God just blew his mind. So Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight. Let me read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I'm gonna ask uh, the, the media team just to change the slide so I can just focus on the text just for this, this part. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. We were singing that before, uh, earlier today. See, he was seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, these are angels, and with, they had six wings with two they were covering their faces because of God's glory. They, they couldn't look directly at him. And it says that afterwards they had two that covered their feet because they, they, they wanted to, to uh, well, I'll explain this later. With two they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. And two they flew around. With two wings they threw, they, they flew. And they were calling out to one another. This is what the conversation is by the angels. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So ask an angel to say, what do you know about God? Uh, what, what, what is the, the, the most predominant characteristic of who God is? An angel will not just tell you that he's holy. He'll tell you he's holy, holy, holy. Not just once, but three times. And here's the thing, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts of the threshold shook 
and the temple was filled with smoke. This is an imagery of an earthquake taking place, that literally the, the, the sounding of God being holy is setting the earth shaking. Literally, the largest fault line in the planet is, runs right through the middle of Israel, and just recently we saw part of it shift up in Turkey and Syria where that terrible earthquake took place. This is, this is that fault line where it happens. And so Isaiah is saying, I'm, I'm sitting here, I, this is my hometown, I've been through an earthquake before, but now he walks in and he sees, he sees the Lord on his throne, his, his robe is filling the temple, so he's gigantic, he's got angels, he's seeing a vision of angels flying around, and he's trying to describe them as covering their face because even the holiest of angel still is not looking God directly in the face because of the brilliance of his glory. And they're able to sing a song about who God is, and they don't say God is love, 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 or God is mercy, mercy, mercy. They say God is holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole place shakes. And so... What does Isaiah do? He doesn't jump into the song. He's seeing something he never saw before. Now his world's about to be completely reframed. And he says this, Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Think about it for a moment. This is a man who is moving in a ministry of communication for God, not just any kind of typical pastor or evangelist. He is a prophet, and he is not just any prophet. He is the elite prophet. They've called him the Prince of Prophets. He's walking in. He is, he is counseling kings, and now he finally has a glimpse of the God he speaks on behalf of, and he says, I'm, I'm ruined. I often wonder what I would say if I saw God in his holiness. I mean, I, would, I don't know if I'd say, I have unclean lips and everybody around me is. It was as if he was just, I don't know if, you know, a lot of people will preach this and say, well, he was cursing. I think all of a sudden he realized there's no human vocabulary or person worthy enough to describe what I'm seeing. I'm ruined. How do I convey this to people? How do I explain? I'm undone. You see, here's the truth about the presence of God. When you really see God in all of his glory, in all of his holiness, it will immediately show you in all your uncleanness. And that's what happens with this prophet. He says, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Then one of the seraphim, this is beautiful, one of the angels flew with live coal in his hand, which had been taken from the tongs from the altar. The altar flies over with it, and it touched my mouth. See, I have touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Father, again, I just ask for you to reveal yourself today in Christ's name.
There's one other place where this is actually quoted, and it's found in the book of Revelation. It's chapter 4, verse 8, and it reads like this. Um, and I think I have that in here somewhere. Maybe not. No, I don't. Listen to this. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is actually, in Revelation, it's a picture of eternity. When you finally get to heaven, that place that you have these weird ideas about, some people think heaven is going to be a perpetual Bible study. We need more teaching of the Word of God, you know. Like, and then some people think it's going to be an ongoing Soul Fest concert, right? Yeah! You know, everyone's singing there. And, and this actually shows what's really going on, is that the same angels that Isaiah saw are still flying around thousands of years later singing the same song, saying it not just once, twice but three times saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty they can't get off of the fact of how holy god is how amazing god is and then the bible says at this point it's when man is introduced into heaven we now isaiah saw the angels in heaven but now we see man in heaven and it says the 24 elders maybe it's a reflection of the 12 tribes and then maybe 12 leaders of the gentiles i don't know there's somebody out there teaching something about revelation that could probably help you out but but the bible says that they took their crowns off they laid them at their feet and they just said worthy is the lamb who was slain like like this is heaven heaven is actually not a, an ongoing concert or an ongoing bible study it's an ongoing eternal overwhelmed moment of standing in the presence of somebody so set apart so holy so unique so different that no language in this world could ever begin to describe how holy he is now, when you often see the word holy in the Bible, you, you, you see it connected to the word unclean. Um, this is actually coming at you, Drew. I just found this picture, had my wife find this picture this morning. One time, my son Andrew found chocolate cupcakes that my wife was making for some kind of event that probably involved him. But he saw the plate of cupcakes up on the counter. And so what does he do? He takes them and he begins to imbibe in a chocolate cupcake fest and if you look at his front it's all covered with icing and on the ground there's all kinds of stuff and he's mowing it i mean like when he comes when you come in and see him just like any kid at that age he's not eating it he's like going you know just like cookie monster man from I am proud to say that he is a, he is a well-organized young man, not, not perfect, you know, every teenager is permitted to have a certain amount of clothes in a pile somewhere in their room. It's, it's standard, and uh, in fact, I'd say grown males are allowed to do that as well, too. But he is, uh, uh, my wife's saying no, but, um, but uh, you can see the word holy and think, well, it means clean and unclean, because I mean, God's holy, right? No, he's not holy. He's holy, holy, holy. There's a favorite Bible scholar who just passed away recently that Dylan loves. His name's R.C. Sprawl. And in his book, The Holiness of God, he said, only once in sacred scripture is the attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy, but that he is 
holy, even holy, holy on top of that. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does not say that he is holy, 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 and that the whole, or it says that he is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, <laughs> what's unique is that in, there's a writing technique in Hebrew. If you want to make a point, you do it three times. Now, you might be saying, how do we relate to this in English? It's very simple. It's called your middle name. Some of you don't have middle names, but those of you with parents that want to get your attention, they put a middle name in there, right? I will never forget playing outside, Paul, Paul. And I, I'm like, I don't want to go in. And you know, you just pretend like you don't hear your mom. Raise your hand if you ever did that. You're getting called in and you're like, I'm not rushing inside, right? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your candor. Um, but when I heard my mom go, Paul Douglas Conway, I was like, and the fear of God came upon me, and I ran home for most likely my beating, you know? That's what middle names are for, three names. Paul Douglas Conway, get home. You don't have other words being used three times, but whenever you use something twice, you repeat it twice, it's heaven trying to get man's distracted attention. Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses, Saul, Saul. But whenever something is mentioned three times in the Bible, it is heaven making a declaration, and it really doesn't care what you and I on earth think. It is what it is. That's really, in Hebrew, that's the way to say, it is what it is. Say it three times. Holy, holy, holy. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's a thing called the holiness code. And God uses this phrase all through chapter 17 and 26 in the book of Leviticus. He says, hey, be holy because I am holy. And so this holiness code that God lays out, in fact, a lot of it has to do with like altars and communion tables and incense for prayer and sacrifices and things that make sense and things that don't make sense. It's used for a lot of different things, but they also begin to get into morality and they begin to say, hey, this is holy and this is not holy. This is good and this is not good. This is bad and this is not. In other words, they go through and a lot of times it translates the word clean and unclean as using to help us understand. But Leviticus 11.44 reads like this. And I'm going to read it to you because I don't have it in here. It's a very important verse. It says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves. In, that, in fact, that consecrate yourself is, is an adverb of holy. It's saying, holy, holiness yourself and be holy because I am holy. In other words, God's saying, hey, listen, you need to be holy. And the reason you need to be holy is because I am holy. And if you are not into holiness, you're in the wrong place. That's what God's saying. When it comes to heaven, if you are not in the pursuit of holiness, you are headed to the wrong place because all they do in heaven is become overwhelmed again and again by the holiness of God. Now, do I think everybody's sitting around like, whoa, holy, holy, 
it, no, I think God created us in his image. We're creative. I think that, that life will continue for eternity with, with things. I mean, sin will be removed. Death will be removed. We were, we were created to, to live forever. This is why death hurts so bad. This is why the entire faith of Christianity revolves around the resurrection of Jesus. This is why when we take communion and it says that um, Paul said, if we have only hope in Jesus for this life and then we die and there's nothing after it, we should be pitied among all, more people, all people because it, you live and then you die and that's it. The hope of Jesus Christ is, is that we take our unholiness and we offer it to him in honesty and in exchange because of his body and his blood, we re not because it's in the, in the bread or in the cup, but because it's in the confession and it's in the honesty and it's in the, it's in the, the repentance, it's in the humility, we're able to receive the righteousness of God. It's an exchange. It's an exchange. So in Hebrew, the word holy, it literally, I, I want to I give you Hebrew, you're, you're getting, here's a new, new word for you, Hebrew word, say kadosh. It's got that at the end. Say it really firm and just kadosh. So the angels were actually flying around saying kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Just Hebrew has any word it uses, it's almost like German, right? Do you ever hear German people talking to each other when they love each other? I mean, it just doesn't sound good. Hebrew language, I don't know what, you know. It's, it's a very hard language. But listen to what it means. Holy, awesome, removed from profane use, used of God as separate and apart and sacred, separate from human infirmity, impurity, and sin. In other words, I could show you the difference between my clean clothes and my dirty clothes. But there is no way to describe the covering of God in comparison to the cleanest covering on the face of the earth. He is so separate. It's like, it's like almost as if you could say it's not just an issue of something being clean and unclean. It also has the moral aspect of holy and unholy and who determines what is right and wrong? God does. And I tell you what, our, our nation and I would even say our churches need to get back in the word of God and begin to stop debating things that God has already settled in scripture. But it's not just this whole thing of clean and unclean, holy and unholy. It takes it to this other level that it is like so different. I can't even think of a word to describe it. And so the only way I can add to it is to say that it's set apart. It's just, he's, he's not even on the same universe as us. In, in anything, it's to the nth degree. I mean, think about this. We have a God who is so clean and so holy and so pure and so much so of everything that he's not even, a, like, reachable. And yet he looked down at you and me and he said, I'm going to make man in my image and in my likeness 
and he says, and I'm not going to create them to be a bunch of clones. I'm going to make them with a free will that they choose to love me or they don't. I'm not going to make them some kind of slave and a bunch of yes people that surround me. Either they want to do it or they don't want to do it. Either they want to serve me or they don't want to serve me. Either they want to be holy as I'm holy or they don't. God will never violate free will in this world. If God's so holy and pure, well, why doesn't he clean up the world? Because of human free will. To be more specific, because of you. Yes, I hear that repentance. And here's another cool thing, and, and again, we don't talk about language unless it's really, really relevant, but this is just so relevant. There are two times it, where gr Greek, hey, there are two times where Greek really has profound meaning. First of all is when you're reading the New Testament because it was predominantly written in Greek. Second is when you want to get into a better understanding of what the Jews meant by what they were writing in the Old Testament because they created a, uh, they created a version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. About 250 years before Jesus was born, they translated from Hebrew the Old Testament into Greek. And so, um, okay, the binky has been received. Think of this for a second. The Greek word that's used here for holy, it, it literally has a meaning of when it's a, it's literally, like if you say it in Greek, it literally means that person is not like anybody else. They literally are, they have set their entire life apart for God. That's what holy means in Greek. You've set your life completely. And in fact, when you apply it to a title to a person, like if I were to say, you know what, my son Andrew is a holy person, the way that they say it is saint. So we see the saints as these people that are different than anybody else. No, they're no different than you and I. Well, I know that he works for a law firm, but man, that guy's life is set apart for God. Have you ever talked to him or gotten counsel from him? Like, like he's not just talking about your case, he's talking about your character, and he's talking about Christ. Like, there's something different about He's not, she's not just a bookkeeper. She is totally filled up her life and booked it with Jesus that she does an excellent job at, at doing numbers and balancing the books, but all she does with her life is always reflected off of what God would want from her. Do you, start, do you see the, the significance of holiness? It's not just that I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be a holy man, and I know every single one of you, the church, that word holy is used not towards the pastors in the New Testament, it's to the people, it's to you and I, that we are called to be saints, that we're called to be holy, and God in the Old Testament says, be holy for I am holy. And here's the, you can usually pick out an unholy moment, right? I'll never forget this. This is just, I just had to go here. But it, you ever walk into a situation, you're like, this is messed up, right? Yeah. Well, my wife and I went to New York City, and I love going to New York. I love going to Manhattan. It's not as bad as you think it is. It's got great hot dogs, as long as the umbrella says sabrettes. 
and you can go to the Museum of Natural History and have talk about night at the museum. You can go to uh, Trump Tower and oversee everything. You can go to Ellis Island. I mean, there's so many. The Metropolitan Museum of Fine Arts. Um, you could just do all kinds of stuff, and it's just a, a great, great time. But we decided, hey, we, let's stay in the city overnight. And so on 54th and Broadway, there was a hotel called the Paramount Hotel. And we go into this hotel, and we're just like, we got, we were, but this was when booking online was, was easy and just simple and didn't give you as many details. But we walk into the, we walk into the main area, and it is literally a model show. It's like, <laughs> like there's no runway, but there are these like, incredibly beautiful women all over the place. And then at that point, that's where my wife grabs my hand and pulls me along, you know? And so they're, they're like, they, and, and then all of a sudden, we're watching these people, you know, and these models are going up to people, and then they're going to the front desk, and then they're walking away, and we're like, uh-oh. And so for the sake of that young child, I won't, I won't say what was going on, because I don't want him to hear it at such a young age. But, but it, was, it was going on, and then we went into the room, and we figured, okay, all right, we can just stay in the room. We're just here. It's just a place to crash. And we walk in, and like, it's like zebra, and, and like, I, I felt like I walked into the Lion King room, right? It's the Lion King suite, and um, I just couldn't believe it. And I'm like, man, this is just not holy. Have you ever walked into a friendship or a relationship and said, I know I'm here, but this is not holy? Have you ever walked into a partnership or a place of employment and said, I know I'm here, but this is not holy? Now, there was no refunding our money, so we just went to sleep early and went out and enjoyed New York City, but how many times in my life do I walk into situations and into relationships and I'm like, this is not, I've set my life apart for God. I'm not looking down on you because you, you, haven't, you haven't made that choice for your life. Listen, God doesn't hate the world, he loves the world. That's what John 3.16 says. God so loved the world that he gave his son. God doesn't hate the world, he loves the world. The last thing the church should be doing is sticking its nose up at other people as if we're like uh, billionaires of righteousness looking down at other people um, because we're no better than anyone else. It's God who's holy. And it's amazing to me that when Isaiah sees God for who he is, at the same time, he also sees himself for what he is. See, if you really get serious about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're not just coming to hear moral, motivational speaks and hearing a good music session, but you're here because you're starting to encounter God for who he is. Sometimes he turns up the dial little by little. Other times he does shock therapy and you have this incredible encounter. But you can't unsee the holiness of God. Once you see it, you're like, I can't stay the same. I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It's almost like a, a young person drunk driving and crashes and takes a life and they're sorry for it, and it's accidental, but they say, I can't do this anymore with my life. It shocks you into saying, I can't live the same way anymore. I can't be like this anymore. 
What's wrong with me? Who do I think God is? I need to change. There's nothing wrong with God. There's everything wrong with me. And I'm so grateful that that's what grace is all about. It's God giving us his goodness. But there's work for us to do. In fact, when it says be holy, I, I, forgive me for just using Greek language here, but for the handful of people that might get this, it's written in what we call the perfect, the, the perfect consecutive. It's, it's this structure in the language that God says, I am holy, right? But before where it says, be holy, it's God pointing at you saying, you got work to do. The responsibility is on you to be holy. Now, with all of my heart, from a person who grew up in the Catholic Church and the Pentecostal Church where legalism abounds, I despise legalism. I despise it. And... For those of you in theological circles, you can neither nail me as a Calvinist or somebody in the Armenian camp, basically someone who says it all depends on you and it all depends on God. I'm actually in, I'm, I'm into following the founder of Christianity, Christ, and those that immediately wrote on his behalf, Paul and the John in the New Testament, and there's a tension between what God's part is to do and what my part is to do. But I have him saying to me, Paul, you need to be holy, and you need to do it because I'm holy. Now, you're not going to be like me, but this is now a communicable attribute. This is something you can have in your life. This is something you can achieve. This is something that you can change if you work at it. If you think about farming, right now, it used to be 100 years ago that 99% of the world were farmers. Now about 1% of the world are farmers. So this is, this is a hard thing, unless you're a gardener. There are a couple of you here that garden well, and there are some of you that garden poorly. How many of you garden poorly? Let's see some confessions here. You have a plagued thumb, and anything it touches, it just kills that plant. What? I was supposed to water it? <laughs> I didn't get that. But think about this for farming. By the way, we're the number one exporter of agriculture in the world. It's amazing to think that we are the breadbasket of the world. One thing that's for sure, apart from a terrible accident happening, our nation will never starve. But a farmer, if he wants to see a harvest, let's say he's a Christian farmer and he's like, I'm believing God to bring in an incredible harvest and I'm going to sell it and I'm going to ship it out around the world and in a few years my family will be millionaires because this is, this is literally 100,000 acres of property and we've got great potential, the soil's great, it's awesome and uh, he just goes into his house and he starts praying, he's like, Lord, bring in the harvest, bring in the harvest. And then in the meantime, he's got his friends and the companies he's in business partnership with saying, hey, Hey, stupid, get out there with the plow, break up the ground, right? Remove the rocks, fertilize the soil, sprinkle the seed, water it, and then God will do what you can't, and it'll grow and bring the harvest. I think it's the same way with holiness, is that actually 
this is why God says be holy in a sense of like, yo, you got some work to do, be holy. But then at the same time, in the next breath, he's saying you need to be holy because I'm holy. See, if you're into Jesus and you're not into holiness, you're really not into Jesus. I know everybody's into love. Everybody's into mercy. But at the same time, if you really know who God is, if you haven't had a moment like Isaiah did, you'll come to realize, oh my gosh, God is holy. I, I gotta change. I need to change. The, 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 sometimes like we have to put, it's almost like we need a revolving door at the altar or even in the seats, you know, revolving seats. Because people will come in, they will, they will experience church and Jesus and leave and go back out. And as the Old Testament says with the metaphors, the dog returns to the vomit, so the fool to the folly. And they go right back to the same old stuff over and over and over again. And part of that problem is, is because they're not making a change in their life. They have not made a decision to say, I've got work to do. I need to be different. I have to make a change. I have a responsibility on my end and I need to make it happen. And Peter says it like this, as obedient children do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but he who has called you, uh, he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What Peter is literally doing is he's stopped addressing the priests in the Old Testament, and he's turned to the church, and he's talking to every single one of us as priests and saying, you need to be concerned with holiness. Those places you used to go, you can't go there anymore. Those things you used to say, you can't say anymore. Those things you used to take in, you can't take those things in anymore. Why? Because God is holy. And if, if your life is committed to Christ, you need change. You know, what does that look like? Well, there's some things in the Bible that are pretty straightforward right? We could punch through the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery, don't steal, uh, don't murder, which is premeditated, cold-blooded killing, uh, which we saw a trial of that on, on TV recently. Um, we, we could say, keep God first, um, you know, no, no idols, and um, covetousness, being willing to do whatever you can to take something that belongs to somebody else, whether it's their car, their wife, those kind of things, like it's easy to kind of go through the Ten Commandments and kind of sign those off, and God says, hey, you, you've got work to do, but there's an important part of this truth that, that you also have an attitude shift that needs to change. Look at this, and this just hit me so hard. In the Old Testament, there are a bunch of people, we see what looks like repentance, looks like a commitment to holiness, but it's not. You see Pharaoh, every time there's a plague, he says to Moses, I've sinned, I've sinned. Pray to God that this problem goes away. Some of us, our Christianity is like that. When there's a crisis, we dial 911 or G-O-D, and we say, God, bail me out. And then as soon as the problem goes away, our attitude resets, our behavior remains unchanged, and we, we go right back into it. King Saul, when he's told to defeat the enemy and to totally wipe them out and to dedicate all of the animals as a sacrifice to God, King, uh, uh, the prophet Samuel shows up and, and he's saying, I've, 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 I've obeyed and done what the Lord said. And then Samuel's like, what's this bleeding of sheep in my ear? And he says, oh, Saul, I've sinned. 
I've sinned. And it looks like it's repentance. Achan, when they're told to conquer Jericho, everybody is told, don't touch it, don't take a single thing, burn it all. And they go in and they do it, but Achan, uh, this might have been my undoing back then. I used to have really sticky fingers, but like Achan sees that bling on the ground, that bar of gold, and he can't resist, and he takes it, and he says, I've sinned. And even Judas in chapter Matthew 27, verse 4, when he goes through and he's collecting the payment for betraying Jesus, he's even confessing and saying, I've sinned. But they're not repenting. Why? Well, I think what it looks like is probably helps you understand that better when you look at Joseph, David, and the prodigal son. They say something different than all those other people do. They don't say, I've sinned. They say, I've sinned against God and against you. That sin is not just a horizontal thing, and it's not just a vertical thing. It's a vertical and horizontal thing. And you, you look at the reply of these broken moments where Joseph is standing before a woman who's giving an invitation to her bed, and he's a slave. And he says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He wasn't thinking about, and maybe the... He wasn't thinking about the sin just simply against his master. He was thinking about the sin against the God that he served because he had dedicated his life and said, I don't care how low the pit goes. My life will always be held to a higher standard. I don't care if I'm in slavery or if I'm in prison. I'm going to live as a witness for my God and will be holy as he is holy. And then you go on to, to David, and he writes in the Psalms. He's called the man after God's own heart, but my goodness, his behavior wasn't a behavior after God's own behavior. He had done some pretty horrible things. He was a murderer. He was, he was an adulterer. He, he committed genocide on the Moabites by lining them up and saying, I don't want to deal with this army in the future, so one, two, kill him, those two live. One, two, kill him, those two live. He just decimates the entire army population of the Moabites. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. He's a genocidal maniac. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. And then God says... He's a man after mine own heart. Why? Because he gets the one thing that you and I are trying to get here this morning, that holiness is not about us, it's about God. Our sin is not just simply about the person that we wronged. It is about that person, and it's also about our own life, but it's also about God. It's also about offending the Holy One, the one that we say we love, the one that, whose mercy we're dependent on, the one whose grace we're looking to. Then if, if we want His love, we want His mercy, we want His grace, we ought to want His holiness. We ought to want to separate our lives and live for Him. The prodigal son breaks down and he says, my goodness, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There's, there's a phrase that's used over and over again when you talk about the holiness of God. It's, it's, it's a phrase that says, holy to the Lord. Not just like we were singing, we'll sing like holy is the Lord, but holy to the Lord. It's a it's a preposition. I'm sorry for the grammar this morning, but it actually is very meaningful. 
If I were to say, I am holy to God, you'd understand me in English. I am holy for God, you understand me in English. In fact, I create a space with it. I am holy towards God, you can understand it. And when it says it in Hebrew, it's saying it the same way. It says, holiness to the Lord says, holiness is to the Lord. Holiness is for the Lord. Holiness is towards the Lord. The holiness is not about what you separate yourself from. Holiness is not a, well, a, a journey of well-being. Holiness is not a motivational clean up your act endeavor. Holiness is not a breaking of bad habits. Holiness, when it says holy to the Lord, it's that you catch a glimpse and understand that God is holy and that you are made in his image and he would like for you to, to call what is clean, clean and what is unclean, unclean and to live your life in such a way to say, that ain't right and it needs to get out of my life. That's right and it needs to get in my life because my holiness is not about what I'm separating myself from. It's who I'm separating myself to. It's who I'm separating myself for. It's who I'm separating myself towards. In other words, the journey of holiness will be a utter failure. It'll be like trying to quit smoking. Anybody do that? I did that in my life. It was the hardest addiction I ever tried to break. It's, and if you have gone through that journey, um, I, by the way, I just quit a month ago, so it's, I'm, I'm doing good. But think, of, think about this. If it, it, it was so hard because I just said, I don't want to smoke. And then I started turning to God and I said, God, I need some help. And I realized I needed some positive things in my life too. I needed to start exercising. I needed to start eating better. And that was great. But if you just do that, that's just a motivational thing. But let's turn it into an obvious sin. Say, for instance, I have a sexual addiction. Say, for instance, I have a relationship with another man's wife or another man, another woman's husband. And God says, that's holiness. I'm a holy God. And I say, you shall not commit adultery. This is wrong. If you're just like, hey, I got to get out of this bad situation, I just need to change that or whatever, you're going to find yourself over here in somebody else's bed. If, you, if, you, if you're going to find yourself over here with that guy over there coming after you with a shotgun, that's not going to help you, or that lady coming after you with a shotgun. That's not going to help you. This isn't just self-help. It's that you turn your back on the things that God has said. There's no debate over this. It's time for you to stop thinking of me and start being like me and saying, uh, God, I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care what, what, how anyone acts. I'm not trying to make myself look better than anyone else. I'm just trying to look to you. I'm just trying to look towards you. I'm just trying to live, to live for you. There's a big difference. This is why so many people fail in a pursuit of holiness. Now, there, one of my favorite authors for practical Christianity, spiritual formation, he's a guy named Jerry Bridges. He wrote a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. And it sold three million copies. And it was very much focused on a lot of what we talked about here, about we've got a responsibility to be holy. But then he released a book afterwards because he realized he had put so much of an emphasis on the personal responsibility of people 
that he said, I, I need to bring the balance because there is a part of being holy that only God can do. Like God says, be holy as I'm holy. Like, yeah, right. It doesn't say be holy like I am holy. It says be holy because I'm holy. Our holiness will never look like God's holiness. But there is a difference between being a hypocrite and being weak. How does change take place in your life? I've had a couple of moments where I came forward to an altar and a pastor like Pastor Bertrand came up and prayed for me and I was never the same again. And then there were other things in my life where I kept going back to the altar and it wasn't changing and it wasn't changing. And then God said, it's not changing because you're not making that change. And I had my personal responsibility that I had to apply to it. See, the Bible says this, it is God in us who helps us to will and to do of his good pleasure. If I could encourage you right now because the truth is, is like Isaiah, if you see God in his holiness, you're gonna see yourself in your filthiness. Or even worse, you'll stop looking towards God and you'll look away from him and then you'll wake up 10 years later and it's not that you tried to run away from God, you just stopped rowing against the current of this world and you'll say to yourself, how did I get here? And it was just simply you stopped trying. And God says, don't, first of all, he doesn't want to rub your face in your failures because it's not about your failures. He doesn't want to vote you off the island of eternity. See, this is why he sent his son, because he knew that we would be powerless to do what is required of us. And he said, I'm going to take away the penalty of their sin. You may be here and you may be a murderer, you may be an adulterer, and yet if you're simply a person who's looking at God like Isaiah did and you look at him in honesty, your mind, you could be here and you could be a gossip, you could be a slanderer, you could be filled with bitterness and unforgiveness. You can go to hell just as easy with those things as you can with murder, by the way. But if you'd stop taking your eyes off of that and put them on him and begin to say, God, teach me your, teach me your word. You know, you begin to get in. And say, it's not that you have to know everything. Just what you know, be responsible for that. It's real simple. Ten Commandments are really easy. That's a really great start. The commandments of loving people, usually nine times out of ten, if you just say, would this be a loving response to this person or not, that'll help you keep in line with that. And here's the beauty of it. When you begin to put your attention towards Jesus and you walk towards God, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. But if your heart is to him and it's towards him and it's for him, you may fall in your humanness, but he's going to lift you up in his grace. You see, the truth of the matter is this. I'm going to ask Mary Evelyn to come back, but the, the truth is this, is that whether you've been in the church your whole life or not, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or not, 
any of the good that you've done, it never was you anyway, it was him. I was, I was, I'm not capable of being, I'm not, I'm not a good person in and of myself. But I have given my life to, towards, and for God. And in that journey, there are some times where I have fallen, where I have tripped other people up. I've lost a few teeth in my journey. Some of you might know how that feels. And it's not easy living for Jesus. You'll make mistakes. But that's where he says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my grace is sufficient for you. See, if this was just simply dependent on you, if it was simply dependent upon you and me, we would, there'd be no hope for us. We never could achieve that. But God comes in and he says, I know what you are, I know what you're not. Do you know what you are? Are you being honest with yourself? Do you know what you are? Do you know what you're not? That's where the real journey of holiness starts, is being honest to God. And sometimes that takes a visitation of God for him to show up like he did with Isaiah and say, God, I, 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 I just don't even reveal, your, re, reveal yourself to me, but Lord, reveal me to myself. And you make that commitment and you say, Lord, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'll never be like you, but I'll be for you. I'll be to you. I'll be towards you. I'll be holy because you're holy, I'm not gonna do it like you. And God looks down at us and says, now, now I can change their life. Not only that, but then he says, now I can change other people's lives through them. Now, if they're a lawyer, they can still be two towards and for God. If they're a bookkeeper, they can still be set apart saints. That's what God calls us, saints. And here's the beautiful thing. The most messed up church in the New Testament, the church of Corinth, he addresses sins in there of people sleeping with their mother-in-law, people backbiting and gossiping and all kinds of crazy stuff. But you know how he starts off his conversation to them? He says to the saints at Corinth, saints? It's as if he's saying to them, you're capable of so much more. Your life is an opportunity for God. Rise to meet it. Rise to meet it. Those things you used to do, stop doing them. But start doing those things to, towards, and for God. That's, that's, that's all this, this is, is where we're driving down the road and someone's on the side of it, and then you just say, you know what, I'm gonna pull over. And then they start, unpacking their life with you and you help somebody or somebody at work starts to cry and they don't know what to do and you know or somebody somebody makes a pass at you and you're able to say I'm really flattered that someone would think that way but you know what I love my wife and I love my family and I want you to know that I don't respect you any less but I, I I'm a committed person this goes nowhere when I was in Bible college What was happening at what's happening now and what happened here last week, what happened in Asbury Theological Seminary was happening at the college that I was at. And man, I'm telling you, for about a year and a half, 
all I did was just seek the face of God. I was in the Word constantly. I was in, I was just like, God, show me yourself. Reveal yourself to me. And I went to sleep that night. As I put my head on the pillow, I dreamed a dream. Some of it's mine and mine alone. It would make no sense to any of you. But this is the one part that would. I turned and I looked and I saw an old man. And he just smiled at me. And he got brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And I understand what the Bible means where it says that I looked at him and his clothes were like lightning. And there's just no, that's about as close. I shouldn't have been able to look at him, but I could. And I remember waking up, tears pouring down my face. But this was the amazing part. As soon as I did that, my roommate, who slept in the same room, sat up with tears pouring down his face. And he said, what's going on? He says, the presence of God is so strong in this room. And ever since that moment in my life, I've made bad choices, I've made mistakes, but ever since I got a glimpse of the brightness of the separation of the holiness of God, I said, God, I may not do it perfect, but I'm doing it to you. I'm doing it towards you, and I'm doing it for you. And some of the holiest people that I know are also some of the humblest people that I know. Now, I wouldn't put myself in that category. I'm just another jogger that's clumsy like you, just trying to run in the right direction. I'm not trying to finish first. I just want to finish. The Lord loves you so much. Maybe some of those things that I mentioned are active in your life right now. I think it's time that we take a step of getting our lives clean. As a church, we stand and, and we repent before God. And we ask him, God, show me. See, this is what I love about David. He says this, he says, search me, O God. See, it wasn't enough for him to say, I've sinned against, I, I, Lord, I've sinned against you and you alone have I sinned. Cleanse me and I'll be clean and all this stuff. But at one point he said, oh God, search me. It was as if David didn't trust himself to get everything, that he was like, God, double back. I don't want anything left in my life that's displeasing to you. And we have a couple of things up here that we'll have up here for weeks to come. One of them is a prayer journal. Some of us have to write to think. But we want you to know that the pastors will take those from, from week to week and we'll pray over those prayer requests. There's communion here this morning. Because I think today's communion is, is probably a personable one. And then what you'll see here week to week is, is we'll have grape juice and bread and gluten-free bread and, there might, and we'll have that here on top of the weeks that we do communion as an entire church because I just, there are some times where it's like, I just need to be reminded of who died for me. That's why I love him, he died for me. That's why I wanna to live to please him because he died for me. 
And there are some weeks where we'll find ourselves coming in here and we're like, I know we're doing communion once a month, but I just want to be reminded, God, it's not that I'm partaking of this in an unworthy manner. I just know that I'm a mess and I need your grace. Forgive me. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a mess. I look good on the outside. But if you were to search me, I'd be embarrassed. You love me. You don't want to embarrass me. You don't want to shame me. You want to save me. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to understand your holiness. Help me to be holy because you're holy. Help me to be a person of love because you're love. But help me to do my part to be holy like you. I believe that if you prayed that for the first time or you prayed that for the hundredth time, I could say to you like Jesus did to the cripple, your sins are forgiven. I could say to you like the cripple on the, on the mat, or the woman caught in adultery where Jesus said, you're forgiven, now go and sin no more. And what we're gonna do is, is we just have two songs that we're just gonna play through here and we're gonna let them play and it's an invitation for you to just reflect on the holiness of God and the humanness of you. It's an opportunity if you want to come up and, and take communion for you and your family and to partake of that together. It's a chance for you to do it old school here if you're uh, over the COVID bump there and you wanna, you, you wanna do it old school there or you wanna take that, you may even wanna take one of those home and say, God, but I know I'm gonna do this before my day ends. I wanna, I wanna have a, I want to have a moment with you before my day ends in your presence. You might want to write out your thoughts and say, please pray for me. And we'll keep those confidential, but I would just say it's an open book, so don't be too detailed. But Lord, show us your holiness. As we hear these songs, some of us will have to slip out quietly. But for those, Lord, at least for one of these songs, let's take a moment and reflect on your holiness. Change us, Lord. We're not asking you to make us perfect, and we're not going to be perfectionists about it. We're just gonna give it our best shot and receive your love each step of the way. In Christ's name, amen.
you that although you're a holy God, you're filled with mercy, you're filled with love. Lord, we want to pursue holiness. We want to pursue you. And so I just pray that you would just reframe our lives, help us to take an assessment, an inventory, 
the change that needs to take place and help us to trust you for the to will and to do of your good pleasure. That's what you say. You give us the strength to will and do of your good pleasure. Lord, it might not be a perfect turn. It might be a 20-point turn, but God, we're turning our life around, and we want to be like you. So I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be a church that sees that God is high and exalted. He's worthy of praise, and he's worthy of our lives being separate for him. And that we don't want to do it out of a fear of hell. We want to do it out of a captivation of holiness. So, Lord, I just pray. It's not what we're turning from. It's who we're turning to. And that would take place in us as a church. We give you the glory. We give you this day, this week, this month, and this year. Most of all, we give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're welcome to tarry around. Um, I know that the children's ministry would be really grateful for you to get your kids or one of your parents to get your kids, but God bless you. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to all of our messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and go to lowellag.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news, updates, and events. Thank you, and God bless.